Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't often do this, but I'm going to start off with reading a, a little bit of uh, a quote uh, regarding uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor. And um, he was imprisoned for a year, uh, four months and 18 days in a Nazi prison. He is one who, though his theology, there was some uh, difficulties, some problems in his, uh, his theology. He was a Lutheran pastor. He did have some things that were incorrect, but he was a bold, courageous man. There's much that could be learned from a man of this stature. But when he was in prison, he was in a six by nine Nazi cell. Uh, this is what he said. You must never doubt that I am traveling with gratitude and cheerfulness along the road where I am being led. My past life is brimful of God's goodness and my sins are covered by the forgiving love of Christ crucified. I'm so thankful for the people I have met and I only hope that they never have to grieve about me, but that they too will always be certain of and thankful for God's mercy and forgiveness. You see, my contention with regards to thanksgiving is it always flows out of a regenerate heart. The unregenerate, though they can give thanks and though they do give thanks to one another, they do not give thanks to God. Romans chapter 1 speaks about the unbelieving individual as being unthankful to God. He receives manifold things, uh, bounties of his providence. We, he receives all kinds of things of this earth. Just think about the rain and the sunshine just being a, a couple of things that we take for granted every day. He receives that, but he doesn't give God thanks. He has family, he has friends, he has a job, he makes money, he has many material things. He sits down to a table, which undoubtedly many will do today, with a bounty of all kinds of food, and yet nothing will be said of thanksgiving to God. It'll be some kind of a nebulous thing. Let's go around the room, and each one of you can say what you're thankful for. But it's never directed towards God. It doesn't get there with the natural man. This is the one that is raised up spiritually and given new life. He gives thanks to the Lord. And he understands what is most important. Now, recognize something. The scriptures speak about giving thanks for all things and in every situation. So I'm not condemning giving thanks for the food that we eat. You remember as Jesus broke bread uh, for the Lord's Supper, that he gave thanks to his Father, and then he broke the bread and he passed the cup. So there is thanksgiving for the food. We find thanksgiving given for healing. When there is healing in Scripture, there is giving of thanks. There's giving of thanks for companionship in Scripture. There's giving thanks for rescue, being rescued from some imminent danger. Things that are not specifically thinking about the redemption in Christ, but they are those things that flow from redemption in Jesus Christ. Because as believers... We recognize in whose hand we reside. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, What do you have that you haven't received? And if indeed you have received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And so we recognize as believers 
that thanksgiving flows from the heart of faith, from a regenerate heart. That is true thanksgiving. It's that which flows from the heart to the Lord. It's not simply horizontal, it's vertical. It's vertical first. It goes to the Lord first, and then we give thanks to the bounties that He provides. The problem, I think, that goes on with the Thanksgiving Day is I think that the temporal things eclipse the spiritual things. And it can happen in the life of a Christian as well. We get so concerned and so excited about all the food and festivities, we forget about that which is truly important. That in order of rank which must come first. So, this is what I think that our text this morning recalibrates the mind to realize what first and foremost is most important. Because as Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So what if you have everything that money can buy and you do not have a heart of faith? You perish. You go to hell. You you descend into the pit of hell and you suffer the just judgment of God who has bestowed upon you all kinds of riches of this life. But that's your best life, the things of this world. So as believers, we recognize it begins with the Lord. We give thanks for the redemption in Him. And then flowing from that, all the horizontal bounties that the Lord provides. So let me ask you this. If you don't have the bounties of your table, if those are not provided for you, would would you give thanks to the Lord? You know, Habakkuk 3 says that so, just, just that much. That if we didn't have the, the things, the vines and, and, the, and the, the offspring, if they didn't come in, we'll still rejoice in the Lord our God. We're rejoicing first and foremost, whether we have little or whether we have much. Praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. So, here's the question. To whom do you give thanks? When you sit around and you give thanks for the many things that the Lord provides, to whom are you giving thanks? Are you giving thanks to the one in whom we live and move and have our being? Are you giving thanks to the one who has dispensed all the blessings to his children in the heavenly places? Is that who you're thanking? Paul says this in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, Paul begins this letter, and you know he starts off right away with giving thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Isn't that it, what you find in Scripture? Thanksgiving and prayer are going to go hand in hand. When you're a thankful person, you're a prayerful person. And that's the chief form of thanksgiving which we owe to God, is a life of prayer. Paul begins by saying thanks to the Lord, giving thanks to God for a congregation, giving thanks to the remembrance of their very name, that God has blessed Paul uh, extremely uh, with companionship and with congregations and people who loved him and prayed for him. But in this particular text, he gives thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Now you think about that. When we come into this world, we are unqualified. 
When we come into this world as those dead in in trespasses and sins and at war with God, hating God, hating one another, hating our neighbors, uh, we are disqualified for all good things. We are under the wrath and the curse of God, and deservedly so. Now, I get concerned about, especially in our country, because in our country... There is a lot of uh, Pharisaism that goes on. Not to say that are not in other places, but in prosperity, where you have much prosperity, you have much discontentment. Contentment, discontentment grows in the sphere of prosperity. The more people have, the more discontent that they become. And, and that's a sad thing. Because there is no thanks then given to the Lord for the smallest blessings that he provides. So being those that are disqualified, it is the Father who qualifies us. It's the Father then who does a work that makes us acceptable. That's what it means to be made acceptable to God. God does that. How does he make us acceptable in his sight? He does so by imputing the righteousness of Christ to us. When that imputation takes place and Christ then takes upon him all of our sin and we then take upon ourselves all the righteous works of Jesus Christ. His perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness becomes ours. We are then qualified to receive the inheritance. The inheritance which we didn't earn. The inheritance that we didn't merit. The inheritance which Christ has merited in our place that becomes ours. So Paul gives thanks to the Father for this. Because it's the Father in love sends His Son to do the work that is necessary for our redemption. He has satisfied the wrath of the Father. He has fulfilled all the righteous demands of the law. Christ has finished all that was given for Him to do for His people. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in that work. But recognize something that it's a finished work. You know, we as the people of God look back to the cross with thanksgiving and praise. The old covenant people, we're looking forward to the cross. We're looking back to what Christ has already done. There's nothing more that is needed. Uh, You speak about justification. To be justified means that you are declared righteous by the Father who is the judge. The judge declares people, sinful people, rebellious people. He declares them not guilty. He declares them righteous and holy in His sight. How can He do that? Because of imputation. When that imputation of the righteous works of Christ becomes ours, uh, that all of our sins then have been satisfied in the sight of the Father by the work of the Son. That justification never changes. On your worst day, on your best day, you are no less justified. There is no degree of justification. You cannot say, I'm growing in justification. No. To be justified is to be declared righteous as Christ is righteous before a holy God by a holy God. And that is our position, our status forever in the sight of God in Jesus Christ. Now, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, uh, that's the doctrine of sanctification. 
The sanctifying of the Christian. That's the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word in the life of the believer. Making us more and more like Jesus. Now that's a, uh, that's a concept that many people distort when it comes to righteousness. Now look at We're imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And if that is the fact, if that is the case in your life, then you are being made righteous by the working of the Holy Spirit. The Belgian Confession 24 speaks to that, that we are being made righteous. Now, that, that practical outworking, uh, that righteous behavior, doing what is right, is us more and more putting on the mind of Christ, thinking Christ's thoughts after Him. So, Beloved, when you're qualified, you fall down every day falling short. But because you're qualified, you are one who is brought near to God. You give thanks and praise that you are righteous in Christ. And you will never be cast out of the Father's hand. Have you thought about that? Can you be thankful that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? That you are righteous in the sight of God? That He considers you, He counts you, He reckons you as righteous as His Son, and He loves you as He loves His own dear Son? Can you be thankful for that? Can you give Him praise? What it then exudes from the life of the believer when you start there? Then you're thankful for the little things of life. The things that are of, really, you think about it, there's no consequence to those things. They're inconsequential. Yeah, but they're important because they're given by a God who has loved me in His Son and has declared me righteous in His sight because of the work of His Son. You see, when you start there, all the thanksgiving begins to flow into all the horizontal areas and regions of our life. Then you begin to see that nothing is is inconsequential. That everything is important in the life of a Christian. Right down to the smallest blessing that the Lord provides. And as we grow in grace and in knowledge and understanding and in Christ's likeness, we become practically more and more thankful people. Because we, we really, don't we? We live, in a, we live in a society, we live in a world that everything is complaint. It doesn't matter what you have, you know. You, Look, I heard about the Nebraska Powerball, and it was, uh, I don't know how many, it was billion, two or three billion dollars. I mean, who, who plays that stuff to get that money up that high? And they said that the winner would receive somewhere like $670 million, and the people that were talking about were complaining about how much the government would take out of that. I mean, it's a good night. How much do you need to live on? I mean, could you think you could make it the rest of your life on $670 million? I mean, we, we complain about everything. And so I, I think when we start and we look right from the beginning of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're going to be thankful. I didn't deserve uh, the blessings that the Lord has provided for me. I don't deserve any of them. Uh, Jacob even said in, in the book of Genesis that I'm not worthy of the least of your truth, the least of your benefits. The least, the very least of the things. I'm not worthy of them. Jesus in Luke 17 speaks about an unprofitable servant. When you've done all those things that are commanded of you, say, I am an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which was commanded of me. And as Christians, we know we haven't even done that. We're unprofitable servants. And yet the Lord blesses us abundantly. 
You know, I had asked the question once about uh, a corn, you know, a stalk of corn, and then the cob, and and how many kernels are on the corn cob itself? So you plant one seed in the ground, and that returns six, seven, eight hundred kernels of corn on a cob. I mean, look, recognize that. What a blessing that it is that the Lord provides. Do we think much of that? I mean, we plant so little, and the Lord provides so much. I've seen some of your gardens growing over and things getting all entangled, going everywhere. It's the bounties that the Lord provides, the little things that we can give thanks for. So we begin here with thanking the Father, who has qualified us to be the partakers of the inheritance, the inheritance which Christ has merited. And that includes all things. Do you realize when you read the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says that blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. The earth, the whole of the world. Christ is the one who has merited the whole earth, the whole world in which we dwell upon. Christ has merited that. That is part of the inheritance, beloved. You realize that the new heavens and the new earth, which Jesus has gone to prepare for his people, is going to come down out of heaven upon this earth, and the kingdom of God in which righteousness dwells is going to be the whole of this earth, and the meek, the people of God, are going to inherit it all. All things are ours in Jesus Christ. Life, death, all things belong to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul makes a a big deal about that in 1 Corinthians 3, that all things belong to us in Jesus Christ. So that's the inheritance of the saints in the light. Notice the saints, the holy ones, the ones called out of darkness into the marvelous light. The light here is speaking, you could use it in two different ways. Um, Intellectually speaking, referring to truth, and morally speaking, referring to purity. That's what the light refers to. Oftentimes it's referring to truth. So we are people of the truth. We are in the light. We walk in the light even as Christ is in the light. The word of God is a lamp and a light unto our feet in which we traverse in this world. And so we are the people of truth. We are to walk in the truth. We are to speak the truth. And we are to continually to expose the darkness with the truth. And that's our identity. Saints in the light. We have been delivered from the power of darkness We have been delivered from the chains of death and Hades. And we've been brought into the marvelous light in Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 13, he has delivered us. Now that's humbling, beloved. Now all of this, just think about these three texts, these verses right here. This this text together is all of the thanks is pouring out to the Lord. God has delivered us. You didn't deliver yourself. I don't care if you've been a member of the church since you were an infant and you were baptized and brought into the the membership of the church. You did not deliver yourself. You did not want one day wake up and then you believed the truth and then God redeemed you. No, God redeemed you so that you would believe the truth. That you would believe the gospel. God regenerates the soul that enables us then to believe the promise of the gospel and then we are granted everlasting life in Jesus Christ. So it's the Lord who has delivered. To be delivered means to bring one near to oneself. That's what Christ does, or the Father does through Christ. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. 
You know, I'm thankful uh, that I'm not under the power of darkness any longer. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 that Satan has taken captive the unbelieving world to do his will. They are in darkness. In the Old Covenant, you find the nation Israel, the church bound up in the nation there. They were in the light. They had the light of the Lord. They were called to be a city set upon a hill, and they were to illumine the nations all around them. And so everybody around Israel was in darkness. In other words, they did not have the truth. We live in a world of darkness. Everywhere you go, listen to people speak. Listen how they speak. It's all earthly and mundane, and it's man-glorifying, man-exalting, which means that it's Satan-exalting. Because what happens is that Satan has spawned uh, this type of doctrine within human beings to worship themselves and to honor themselves and give glory to themselves and never go higher than mankind himself. Horizontal, that's all that it goes. That's as furthest as it can go. It can go no further than the horizontal. Are you thankful to God that He's opened your eyes to the truth? Um, If you have your Bibles, just look at uh, Acts chapter... uh, I believe it's Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, and I think it's... um, Verse 17 or 18... Um, start at 17, 17 and 18. I will deliver you, uh, rescue you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There it is. To turn them, to open their eyes. What does that mean then for when we come into this world? Our eyes are closed. They're not closed physically, it's speaking spiritually. The eyes are spiritually closed. We don't understand the gospel. We don't believe the gospel. We have no love and affection for the things of God. We don't recognize, we don't acknowledge that God lives and He he reigns and He rules and He is governing all things. We don't give Him praise. We don't look to the Lord from whom all blessings flow. Uh, That's the natural man. He has the mind of the reprobate. He has the mind that is at rebellion against the living God. He dwells in darkness. That's how he walks. That's how he thinks. His mind is dark. He doesn't know the truth. He knows a tree, but he doesn't know what a tree is for. He doesn't know who made the tree. He doesn't know the glory of using that tree to the honor of God. He sits down and he eats his food, and he doesn't give God thanks. He is one who says, I deserve it. I earn it. I labored for this. Of course this is me. It's all about me. Man scores a touchdown. and He's the king of the world, isn't he? It's all about me. I have all the talent. I'm so great. You know, everybody wants me. All these other teams are trying to beckon to, to get me to come to them because I'm so wonderful without ever acknowledging that God has given them the gifts. And He certainly has given talents to the unbelieving world. Men are able to do things which Christians can't even do. God enables men to do certain things. I mean, there's, I saw a guy, Julius Irving, a basketball player once. He was running 
And he got half court, and from the top of the key, he jumped and he dunked the ball. I mean, how do you do that? You know how far that is from the top of the key to the rim? I don't know how far it is. Farther than I could ever jump, but he could jump it. And where did that come from? That talent comes from the Lord. You know, you watch, there is, there is much talent displayed in a football game. Have you ever watched some of the older guys, Lynn Swan, and watched that guy catch and the ability that was given to him? It was a man who played for the Oakland Raiders, uh, Fred Blitnikoff. They used to call him old sticky fingers. It didn't matter where you threw it. He, he would catch it. He would catch it one-handed. He would always catch it. He had as a routine of taking a football and throwing it against the wall every day and then catching it on all the different bounces and angles that it went from. I mean, clearly, God has given talent to human beings. And we can see that. We can acknowledge that. The sadness is that they don't acknowledge the God who has given them the talents. And oftentimes, the Christian, we can fall into that as well. You know, the knowledge of Reformed doctrine and to have the jewel of the truth of God's Word. To know that man, as rebellious as he is, as wretched as he truly is in his fallen state, is still he has worth. Why is that? Because he's created as the image bearer of God. He's shattered. He's broken. He's not a beast. He is still an image bearer to some degree of the glorious God who has created us. So there it is, right? We recognize the depravity of man, but we recognize also his worth because he is created as God's image bearer. You don't find that in other doctrines except Reformed theology. You find the debasity of man, and yet at the same time, he has great worth as an image bearer of God. And so he is to be treated with dignity. Are you thankful for that, beloved? Are you thankful to know that your salvation belongs to the Lord? Salvation is of Him. Are you thankful to know that nothing can ever... Nothing. No thing. That's all of creation. There is no created thing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, what's not created? God. God is uncreated. He is the eternal one. Everything else is created. That means that it is an impossibility for you to be ever separated from God's love. Are you thankful for that? On your worst day, beloved, you cannot be separated from the love of God. When you fall short, when you commit grievous sins, you cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Are you thankful for that? That truth of knowing that is a gift from God. It's what God has given to you. So don't be haughty. Don't think, oh, look what I discovered. You don't have any new truth. You understand that? The things that I understand from Scripture, I mean, it's not new. I don't have any new doctrines and new teaching. Well, look, in the process of Christianity, no one has ever come up with this ever before. Are you serious? Run from that guy. Uh, There is no new truth. What we have in the Word of God is the Word of God. And the thoughts that you have, they're they're not new. God is the one who provides for us the ability to think. And to think His thoughts after Him. Who do you give thanks to? We give thanks to the Lord. Because we're no longer in darkness. We're no longer children of the devil. 
We have been rescued by the Lord. And what a wonder that He has conveyed us. He has transferred us. This is a spiritual transference. It is one who is in Adam is now transferred to Christ. It is one who was under the power of Satan is now under the power of Christ. It's a spiritual transformation, but it's your identity in Jesus Christ. It's who you are as a saint in Christ Jesus. You have been transferred. And you are no longer under the authority of the devil. And that's what it says, the power of Satan, the power of darkness, exousia, the authority of Satan. You're no longer a pawn in the hand of Satan. You're no longer one who was manipulated. You're no longer one who is under the power of that darkness, believing the lies. Are you thankful that you're not believing lies any longer? Are you thankful that you know the truth? Are you thankful that you can raise up your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord? You can instruct them to the Lord. You can call them to faith. Are you thankful that you know that there is salvation and forgiveness and God is merciful and it's new every day? Great is God's mercy towards His people. Are you thankful for that? Start there, beloved. And then the things as it trickles down, you'll be thankful for all the things that God has given to you. You become more and more thankful as an individual. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son of His love. You know, that God loves us. How does, how does God love us? Right? We think of John 3.16. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I read something the other day, and the guy said, well, look at how big God loved us. You missed it. It's not what that text refers to. It's not how big God loved us. What does that even mean? It's how God loved us. How did he love us? He gave us the greatest gift that could ever be given, bar none. You could not top the gift that God has given to us in his son. He gave the greatest. In the old covenant, which foreshadows this gift that the father would give, when you were to sacrifice your lambs and your goats, they were not spotted, they were not speckled. They were not lame in any way. It was the best of your herds and your flocks. Why is that? Because the father was going to give the best, the best lamb that would give his life as a ransom for his people. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful that the love of God never changes towards you because you are in Christ Jesus? You've been conveyed. You are under the Son of His love. All the things that happen to us now as believers are working together for our salvation. It's a concept. How do you understand that? I I can't. It's too deep. It's too high for me. I cannot attain to it, as David says. But then even the worst things that can come upon us in this world, God is working that together. And as the catechism says, it must work together for my salvation. I, I don't understand that. I can't fathom that. But to know it, truth. To know that God has written it in His Word. To know that this is the truth of the matter and it will never diminish. It will never weaken. It will never dissipate. It will never disappear. God loves us in that way that all things are working together for our salvation. Can you be thankful? Beloved, we, we often start with 
God doesn't give me this. And then we get angry. When Satan came as a wordsmith and he brought the word to Adam and Eve and especially to Eve. And he says, has God not given you all the trees in the garden? No, God gave Adam and Eve all the trees of the garden except for one. And he turned it around and he says, God hasn't given you everything. We often start there as the people of God. Instead of recognizing, what do I truly deserve? Well, if you don't know, let me tell you, you and I deserve damnation. We deserve the wrath of God. We have earned the wrath of God. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is everlasting life. Start there with what you truly deserve and recognize how God has lavished abundantly upon us all the wondrous gifts in the heavenly places and how He provides for us the temporal needs day by day. It is Him that provides all of this blessing. And it's in Him we have redemption. We often forgive one another. And you know how we forgive? Well, I forgive you. And then when the sin is committed again a couple of months later, you know what, that's the second time that you did that. And we talk to one another and we we talk about how we think that that's appropriate for us to do. And yet that's not what you find in the teaching of Scripture. We are to forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us. How has God forgiven us as His people? He has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. How far is the east from the west? Do you realize that the east and the west never meet? Do you realize that if you start going east, you're always going east? If you go west, you're always going west? There's not a time that all of a sudden you start going east again. That's the direction. But if you're going north, notice that at some point you begin coming south. God has cast our sins away from us that they are never reckoned to us ever again. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful that God is not as a man? That God is not fickle like we are? That when God forgives and when He says it in His Word, that what He says He means and He follows through and is faithful to generations, thousands of generations of those who love Him. That when God says, you are my child, you are redeemed, you are forgiven. Beloved, it is that. Are you thankful for that? You don't have to wonder. You don't have to scratch your head from day to day. Oh, I'm lacking assurance of the Word. I'm lacking assurance of salvation. I'm lacking assurance of forgiveness. Well, get into the Word and listen to the Word of God. He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you thankful for that? We have redemption in Him. He has redeemed us by the blood of His Son and forgiven us. The the Greek term for forgiveness, uh, aphiome, aphesis means To cast away. God has cast away our sins. And he never holds them against us again. We never come back into the courtroom and have to give an account. Christ has given account of our sins. That doesn't mean that you live any ways you want. But you recognize that Christ has accounted for all your sins. 
Paul begins there, really, as the people of God, to be a thankful people. To think about the eternal verity and benefits that we have received in Jesus Christ. And from that, knowing that all blessings flow from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning or change, variableness in in his being. But the Lord does what he says, and the Lord's word is truth. And it never waxes weary, it never waxes faint. It is the same today, yesterday, and forever. For heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus says, my word will never pass away. And so as the people of God, we can be thankful, first and foremost, for the redemption in Jesus Christ. And then for all the bounties that God provides for us, for he is the good shepherd who has promised to care for his sheep. David says, I have been old and I have been young, and I have never seen the righteous begging for bread, because the righteous holy God who has redeemed a people unto himself provides for all of their needs. Beloved, have a great Thanksgiving festivity. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy enjoy the football game. But don't, don't forget to give God thanks for even the things of watching a television and seeing a football game and enjoying the talents that you find that'll be on that game today and the food that'll satisfy the hunger and the fellowship and the giving of thanks and the praising of the Lord. And you recognize that all of that is a result of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Give him thanks. Richly enjoy all that he has given to you. But start with thanksgiving to our God. Amen. Shall we pray?